2002, the Black Course at Bethpage State Park on Long Island became the first ever publicly owned and operated golf course to hold the U.S. Open. It was a rousing success. The course was brutally hard. The Long Island fans, even in bad weather, turned out in droves. They adopted Phil Mickelson as their chosen favorite and Sergio Garcia probably as the opposite of that. And Tiger Woods survived the test best. He was the only player to shoot under par for the tournament. Ever since, the legend of Bethpage has only continued to grow. The rowdy crowds, the impossible fescue, the warning sign behind the first tee. In 2009, the majors returned to Bethpage. Phil Mickelson contended again, and he came up short again, while Lucas Glover took down the win. But it was the fans and the venue that starred. This week, a major championship returns to Bethpage Black. For the PGA Championship preview for Golf Magazine, Paul Rogers headed out to Bethpage to play the course himself and to remind us what all the fuss is really about. Paul, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dylan. Paul, let's start at the beginning for for you, at least, not for the course, but tell me about the first time you ever set foot on Bethpage Black. Sure. I was uh, 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college and had made the golf team uh, at Brown. And in those days, back in the early 1990s, the Ivy League Championship was played on the black. Um, I had heard about it. I grew up in Manhattan and learned the game on Long Island, and I'd always heard stories of Beth Page and never been out there. So uh, we rolled in in the team van uh, and knocked it around in a practice round. And then the next thing I knew, uh, I was standing on the tee uh, with 36 holes to play on a Saturday and then 18 more the next day. <laughs> Um, it was um, all I could handle, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, what is that like for a bunch of college kids to to tackle Bethpage? I mean, I think, you know, outsiders probably know that it has a, a reputation for being difficult, but, you know, what is how does that manifest itself? <laughs> well, it's beyond difficult, and I should just say one more thing since you mentioned what is it like for college golfers to play it. I think the college game has changed tremendously uh, in the last um 25 or 30 years. I can only speak for my teammates and me. We were solid players, but we didn't show up with AJGA uh, resumes and um, plus two handicaps. Um, if you could break 80, you made the team. And at Beth Page, um, if you thought you were going to break 80, you might be fighting to break um, 88 or 90. Yeah. Um, it was like you know, no other course I had ever played. First of all, it's uh, it's just announced by its scale. Um, you stand on the first tee, you pass that famous sign which says the black course is an extremely difficult course recommended for highly skilled golfers only. Warning, yeah. Uh, and you look down from the elevated first tee and there's this tiny tongue of a fairway curling to the right. Well, as anyone knows from an elevated tee, it's hard to hit a fairway period, but this fairway is particularly narrow. And, and the rough was just so thick that you had to chop it out. Um, and the scale of the bunkers was just something I had never seen before. Um, when we got to the fourth tee, this is this classic, I, I said in my piece, it's like inhabiting a landscape painting. It's a classic climb. Um, it can be played as two shots or three if you play your second shot um, whole high to the right off the green so you have a little pitch in um 
you look out and there's a bunker off to the left uh, in the landing area and then this massive cross bunker that keeps climbing this hill. <laughs> and so the angle becomes very tough on your second shot and you just feel like the composition is that of a painting. Um, and you're just this small person. I'm reminded of Hudson River School paintings um, from the antebellum era and how they tried to really celebrate the American landscape and how it was different from England's. And this felt a little bit like that. Man is a small, small piece of this beautiful natural scene. That's wonderful. And how many times have you been there over the years and, and how has your perception changed? Oh, that's a really good question. I've played 11 competitive rounds on the black. Um, 11? But, that's good. Yes. But, but what, made, um, what made me so interested in the black and, and writing the story is that I really had two experiences there. I had the experience of the college kid showing up in the team sweater, um, missing his girlfriend, putting off his schoolwork, and hoping to shoot a decent score, and maybe just maybe getting hot for a weekend and making all conference. Well, you don't just get hot for a weekend at Best Page <laughs> unless you have serious, serious game. Um, it's not a place to find your so game. That was, <laughs> what's that, Dylan? I said it's not a place to maybe find your golf game. God, no. Um, my second experience with the black is as a pub linker. Uh, I'm a lifelong New York City resident. I live in Brooklyn now. I lived for years in Manhattan. And Dylan, as you probably know yourself, it is a heroic struggle to try to play public course golf when you live um, in the five boroughs. Yeah, I hardly um, bother. The yeah. city's got some courses. Van Cortlandt's the oldest public um, golf course in the country. It has charm, so do others. Um, but I like to leapfrog over them and get out a little bit. Um, into the suburbs with fewer crowds and faster greens and a little bit more breathing space. So I had this second life at Beth Page starting, starting in my 30s and going on almost 20 years now um, of showing up there solo. And as I did it, I took in the place in such a different way. We weren't just rolling in there teeing it up, thinking of ourselves, getting glares from the pub linksers who were angry that the college kids in the college tournament had taken a block of tee times. Now I was one of the regulars. Uh, and so it was a fabulous experience. I mean, first, there was the challenge of trying to kill the whale, of coming back when I had more of a head on my shoulders, when I knew something about course management um, and had a little more sense of uh, technique. Uh, uh, and, and trying to put up a good score here. So every time I went back on that first tee, I thought, all right, maybe this is the time. I'm going to put it all together. Um, and so that's been this neat personal struggle um, and challenge. Um, but then there's a whole other element to Beth Page, which is that, as people say, it's the people's country club. And um, the first of all, there's a culture of singles. I liken it a little bit to playing pickup basketball. You just you show up on your own and you get in a game. Um, the black is walking only, which is wonderful. Uh, and you know that people are there either because they've made some pilgrimage from from far away, or they're hardcore. Uh, there's the Nassau Players Club, which is really the hardcore within the hardcore. It's a club without real estate at Beth Page. These guys can really, really play. Um, and then there's a whole other assortment of locals who, who come and play the course. And 
when I think about Beth Page, I I consider it a macro a microcosm of New York, really. Um, the settlement patterns of Long Island are all on display there. Um, Jews, Irish, Korean Americans, African Americans, Southeast Asians. Uh, we think so much about golf in America, at least, as this exclusive game, and in, in large respect, it is, and particularly in the New York suburbs, because you can't stretch your arms out in Westchester County uh, or in places in Bergen County or Nassau and not come upon a uh, a golden age club but if you have the misfortune of loving this game and wanting to play public course golf or needing to the options are so few and that's where Beth Page comes in it's got five 18 hole courses uh, the black, the red the blue, the green, the yellow 90 holes all fanning out from the same clubhouse um, massive parking lot um, and so I just I really do love that communal aspect of it. Um, it's, sort of, it's a celebration of the commons. Yeah, and to give a little more context, because you do touch on this in your magazine story, how did this place get started? How did this brilliant golf park outside of New York City first get established? Well, the key uh, initial figure was Robert Moses, who was this larger-than-life New Yorker, Robert Caro wrote the definitive biography of him called The Power Broker um, before Cairo moved on to LBJ, another towering figure. Uh, and Robert Moses was a New York State Parks Commissioner. He held similar roles within New York City. And he uh, came up with the idea of creating a park out here on the Nassau and Suffolk County borders. So he acquired through eminent domain Lenox Hills Country Club, an existing golf course on the site. Most of that is now the green course. Hmm. Uh, but Moses also commissioned three other 18-hole courses to be built. Um, what year was this? Well, this was in 1934 that the park was founded. And then the Bethpage State Park Project became a Works Progress Administration project as part of FDR's New Deal. So there were federal funds uh, that were placed in it. And the black was the crowning jewel of this project. The clubhouse, which looks like a, you know, a glorified park building of cedar shingle and brick, um, was part of this Works Progress Administration project. Uh, and the black opened in 1936. And had the site not had three courses on it already, the New York State Parks and Moses and Tillinghast couldn't have built such a difficult course because it would have scared golfers away but by virtue of there being 54 holes already the black could be uh the ultimate test and i was talking to reese jones for this piece and reese redesigned the black or restored i should say the black cleaned it up if we want to use simpler language uh for the 2002 u.s open and that was a herculean project of its own reese maintains that uh beth page black was tilling has pine valley and for those of us who were fortunate enough to have played Pine Valley, the number one ranked course in the world, and the black, I think there's truth to Reese's uh, statement. Given the scale of the property, the daring use of sand, the massive bunkers, and the memorability of the holes. Um, so that, that's, um, in a nutshell, how the 
how the place got started. The yellow course, the fifth 18, was added later on. And I believe parts of it will serve as the driving range in the PGA Championship. Well, and let's talk about that seminal moment in 2002 and the preparation that went around hosting the U.S. Open at Bethpage because this was Mm -hmm. a big deal at the time. This is the first U.S. Open golf course to be, you know, held on a publicly owned, publicly run uh, golf course. So how is the the major championship hosting uh, side changed things for Bethpage? Well, uh, it's had a tremendous impact. Um, it was a visionary idea by David Fay, the former executive director of the USGA, to bring the U.S. Open to Bethpage. It was really unthinkable at the time because Bethpage was so untamed. It had great bones um, with these broad hillsides and tremendous shot values. Um, if we think of land as being the first element of a great golf course, Beth Page Black had it. Um, but there were bushes growing in the bunkers. There were car tires uh, on the perimeter of the property in some places. Uh, it was completely overgrown. So not only was this course 7,000 yards at a time when that was really long um, and had brutal rough, it was just un- unkempt. Um, so when Reese came in and cleaned up the place, uh, he really transformed the black, and then there was this ripple effect on the other courses. Um, so it's had a huge impact, but there's also been a psychological impact because all these tens of thousands of golfers who play Beth Page and maybe the hundreds or thousands of us who call it home, we now have ownership of a major championship venue. And, you know, Pebble Beach had hosted the U.S. Open for years. Um, and while it's public, it costs $500 or more to play. So it's not exactly fair to say it was public. Or Pinehurst number two, uh, similarly high green fee. So Beth Page became the first truly public course to host the Open. Torrey Pines um, would follow. Um, but it's, it's, it's transformed the, the place and given us all an even deeper pride of place. That aspect strikes me as particularly important this uh this celebratory nature of of hosting the u.s open at beth page black because they set attendance records that year in 2002 people showed up in droves they you know they got on some players what sergio garcia uh was the victim of some of their uh heckling and and phil mickelson was the opposite they they kind of carried him all the way to the finish line uh well not quite all the way to the finish line, but as close as he was meant to get at that point. Uh, but just there was a way that, you know, all of New York or at least all of Long Island seemed to to take ownership of the event and celebrate it as their own. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And John Feinstein captured a lot of this in his book, uh, The Open. In fact, he told a wonderful story, and I wish I knew all the details, of Scott McCarran driving in to Beth Page and getting stopped by a police officer. And McCarran, okay, what am I doing? Am I driving the wrong way? And the officer leaned into his window and said, hey, I got to ask you, and I'm not sure the whole, but I think it might have been number four. When you play four, do you go for the green and two, or do you play it off to the <laughs> right? Um, we've never seen anything like this before. Um, and I, I'm with you. The Tigers' victory in 2002 was the ultimate validation. We knew he was the best player in the game, and there he was in black and red holding off 
Phil and Sergio. Phil was the people's choice, and as you said, Sergio really was kind of the, the target of the hecklers because he was doing all that gripping and re-gripping uh, at the time, and, and New Yorkers don't um, suffer fools. <laughs> um, or, uh, so that was tremendous. The weather was miserable in 2002, um, and it was miserable again in 2009. So in a sense, it was really uh, most unfortunate because the black didn't show its best. Uh, it played wet rather than dry and firm and fast. Uh, in 2009, the open had the, the final round had to be played on Monday when people were back at work. Um, but if you think about it, maybe the poor weather was fitting for the black because nothing comes easy there. It's not easy to get a tee time. It's not easy, um, to play the course and it wasn't easy for the pros either. Um, there was actually a controversy, as I recall, in the 2009 U.S. Open. Thursday's round was a washout. I showed up there really early uh, with two friends, and we hiked all the way out to try to find Tiger, who was on the front side. He would have been on seven or eight at the time. It was quite a long walk. All we managed to see was Frederick Jakobsen hit a pitch out from the stones uh, to the right of the fifth fairway when the siren rang. Uh, and so the whole day was washed out. And Governor Andrew Cuomo got in a fight with the USGA over whether the Thursday ticket holders should get a rain check. Well, in baseball, you always got a rain check. The game was rained out. Initially, the USGA said no. They later consented. Um, so there was a power struggle there. Uh, I'm hoping for good weather this time around. And it will also be very interesting to see Tiger return, of course. So he won in 2002. Um but as you made clear, Phil was the people's choice. Phil was the people's choice again in 2009. And actually, if you go into the clubhouse at Beth Page, there are as many photos of Phil as there are of Tiger. Um, but as we know, Tiger's in this wonderful second phase or third or fourth phase of his career now, and he's embracing fans and his um, playing partners in a way he never had before. Um, and so it, it might be really... Um, gratifying to see him come to Beth Page and take it all in um, beyond just his steely stare. And Tiger and Phil both do have their their roots involved with playing public golf and, and they've both talked about it being uh, important to them. They've both, you know, maybe maybe that's something you have to do as a golfer. You have to sort of pay lip service to uh, the public courses even though that's not where they spend most of their time. Uh, but it will be interesting to see their reception and it's interesting you you brought up the weather at both the previous major championships here it's unpredictable the june weather in new york and now we're diving into may weather in new york and sure enough it looks like it it could rain so we could see you know something uh, a little bit wet and wild out at beth page but i want to get into the reporting of your story because you got to you know, you got a really mm. tough assignment for this one. We, the magazine sent you out <laughs> you to go. You didn't climb into Hawaii or uh, <laughs> well, this is or true. The west coast of Scotland. This is true, but we uh, we we sent you out to play Beth Page uh, as a civilian, and uh, take me through that process because you know people have heard a little bit about sure. it. You know, you go, you have to post up early, get there early, etc. But what is it really like? What's the process like to go play Beth Page as as a citizen? Uh, it is it's quite a process. You might call it uh, tortuous. Uh, I compared it in my piece to the alternate side of the street uh, parking rules in New York City, which to a visitor um, 
make no sense whatsoever. And to locals who understand them, they're still burdensome, to say the least. Uh, so Bethpage is famous for people sleeping overnight in their cars, and I can attest that um, the myths are true, uh, and um, the tradition continues. There is a, an online reservation system, which was started a couple years ago. Now, that um, uh, replaced the automated phone line, which was impossible. I used to play with people, and everyone had a different story. How do you get through on the phone line? At 7 p.m., seven days before the day you wish to tee off. One guy worked at a trading firm on Wall Street, and he'd ask coworkers to stay late and all use their speed dials <laughs> at 7 a.m. so they could try to book him a time. Um, now there's the online reservation system, but good luck in the peak of the season. Uh, what it takes to get on the black uh, on a Saturday or um, some other prime time uh, is quite an ordeal. You pull in, and rather than park near the clubhouse, you've got to find this remote corner of this ocean-like parking lot. And there's a helix of a line with numbered spaces. You have to back your car in. And depending on when you get there, there may be seven cars, 31, 60 cars ahead of you. And you always know how many because you're pulling into a numbered spot. Um, and then you sit there and you wait. Now, you may wait overnight, or if you get there at 4 in the morning, you'll wait a couple hours. And at an appointed hour, sometimes it's 5 a.m., sometimes it's 6 a.m., a park department uh, employee comes by, and all the cars pull out. Of course, you have to be backed into the spot or you lose your spot. Um, and then you, you slowly get in this line, and the parks attendant hands out what we call bakery tickets, up to four per car. Um, just as if you were waiting with your grandmother at the bakery and you as a little kid got to press the lever and, and, and pull the, uh, the raffle ticket like uh, stub number 79. Uh, so you wait, you get these tickets, and then you pull your car over to the clubhouse, and then you wait again. Everyone who's ticket holders stands, crowds in front of the front door to the clubhouse. Often there's an ex-Marine named Paul. He's wispy, strong commanding voice and he barks out the numbers in threes 54 55 56 so what time is it and now whoever holds yeah. those, what's that what time is it now at this point good question now it's just before dawn now it might be 6 a.m um and people get really restless if your number's called and you're not there yet okay so then you go in there and you wait in the walk-up line, uh, a snake and queue in the clubhouse. That might be 15 or 20 minutes. And you're antsy because there are five TV monitors behind um, the counter. And you can't really see them until you get until it's your turn and you get to the counter. And then you see black, red, blue, green, yellow, and all the available times for foursomes, threesomes, twosomes, singles. And that's the moment of truth. Uh, and you choose your course and you choose your time. Um, so let's say you've gone through that whole process. Okay, I've shown up at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m., stayed in my car for a couple hours, gotten my bakery ticket, waited in front of the clubhouse, waited uh, in the walk-up line inside the clubhouse. Now the best I can get is 9 a.m. on the black. So I've got three more hours to wait. Uh, that's what it's like in the peak season. And heaven help someone who shows up at 6 a.m. and thinks, God, 
I got up so early. I must be way ahead of the game here. I'm going to walk right out. And he goes to the clubhouse, but he hasn't received one of those tickets because he wasn't in the overnight queue. Well, not only is he confused, he's out of luck. And he's when he figures things out or when someone um, fills him in, he may or may not get a time before noon. <laughs> so it really is that competitive. <laughs> it is. And so what's... Too many of my hours, Dylan, have been spent... Uh, in those lines. So when you went out to, uh, to report this story, how'd you do? Uh, how did I do? It was early in the season, Dylan. So, um, I showed up shortly before that magical hour when the tickets are handed out. Um, but I've had other occasions. One time I was the 63rd in line and I was just kicking pebbles, uh, passing the time. It might've been four 30 in the morning at this point. I had driven 40 miles from Manhattan past LaGuardia airport in between the 18 wheelers on the Long Island expressway. Uh, and so now I'm standing in the parking lot and out of, uh, you know, out of the shadow of a street lamp comes a guy and he says, Hey, my brother wants to talk to you over in car number four. And I thought, what's happening here? Uh, and so I followed him. We went to the car and I thought, hmm, are they trying to sell me drugs? Are they trying to rob me? Um, it turned out this, um, the guy who had, had pulled me aside uh, was only three that day. Their fourth had um, backed out. And so they had only three guys in their car. And for some reason, they liked the way I looked or I was the only guy alone in the parking lot. They thought, let's do him a favor. And so I got in their car and now I was fourth in line. Instead of 63rd car, I was fourth. And um, I got a, a low number, and and off we went. Um, so, a rare case of, of uh, serendipity in that overnight uh, struggle. Do you have a defining favorite moment in Beth Page Black's history, whether it's your own personal history or from watching <laughs> the pros take it on? Um, well, the first way I would answer that is to say. I think that uh, the best moments in best page history are all very personal, not just for me, but for everyone who goes out there. And that's the beauty of the place. We all have our, uh, our catalog of historic moments out there, historic only to ourselves and our pals. Um, and I really don't think the Tigers victory or Lucas Glover's victory in 2009 or whoever wins this year, barring some historic feat, um, will rival, um, these personal milestones on the black. Um, I, I was thrilled the first time I saw the place, um, and I was um, I was thrilled to break eighty for the first time in about forty six years old. Uh, and that day is also memorable for me because I was playing with one of my two brothers and a couple of his buddies, and um, one of them collapsed. We were walking because the black is walking only. It was a hot day. There was no water in the water coolers. Uh, we were all dehydrated by the seventeenth hole. And the, the hikes up to the tees and often up to the greens really never stop the whole way around. There's barely a flat hole in the golf course. And so that day when I'm en route to shooting 78, which for me was like 68, um, my brother's buddy Ricky collapses in this giant bunker short of the 17th green. Now my brother Al, who likes to uh, make the most of a moment, 
saw his friend down in the sand, and Rick couldn't get up. He had a Charlie horse, and he tried to get up, slipped in the sand. It's just like a Sahara of a punker. And so my brother starts screaming, man down, man down, <laughs> um, rather than going to help his friend, who is the man down. Um, so it, was pro- it would probably be that day. Um, when I finally beat some of my old, old demons from the college um, tournaments uh, and um, uh, witnessed the collapse of my my brother's friend, um, the course uh, takes its flash. All right, Paul, this is this is the money question, the toughest part for any writer to, to condense down and, and crystallize uh, mm. into one thought. How do you define what it is that makes Beth Page so special? Well, um, uh, it's not only a memorable golf course, um, it's also truly the people's course. And in America, we can say that about so few places. If you go to Britain and Ireland, golf is in the water there. And you see grandmothers putting in the evenings and dog walkers going across the fairways whether it's in St. Andrews uh, or Sligo, um, we don't have that in America. Uh, maybe we have it in a few towns in Vermont and the odd small community here and there, but we certainly don't have it outside big cities. Uh, and so the, uh, the democratic nature of Bethpage to me is, is, is what stands out above all. But if it weren't a great golf course, if, the reputation weren't earned. There'd be no sense celebrating the communalism of the place either. Um, it, it's not a course the pros are going to enjoy. It's not scenic. I wouldn't call it particularly fun. Uh, I doubt it's going to be a birdie fest. Uh, it's a slog. Um, I spoke to a Metropolitan PGA pro uh, just last week who's played the black, played it competitively for years, and he said, you know, his lowest moments playing the back remind him of when he was getting a divorce. It just beat you up in so many ways and left you weak, and you barely had your feet under you. Uh, and he said he now sees it differently. Um, he rolls with the punches, and if he has to pitch out and still have a mid-iron or a long iron into the green, so he's playing for bogey, which is going to feel like par, he takes his medicine and he goes about and does it. Um, the, um, the the myths are real about this place. Not only sleeping out in your cars, um, but about 10 handicaps playing like 20 handicaps out there. Um, and the pros are as good as they play as long as they hit it. Uh, I expect they'll have their hands full and New Yorkers would uh, have nothing else. Well, Paul, I think that that's a perfect place to leave it. Uh, So thanks for coming on, telling us a little bit more about what makes Beth Page so special. Oh, it's been fun, Dylan. Thank you. As for us here at Golf.com, we'll be out at the PGA Championship all week. We'll be hoping for the rain to stay away, uh, and we will be hoping for some good storylines coming down the stretch. I'm Dylan DeChair with the Golf.com podcast. Thanks for listening.